Uh, you can be opening your Bibles to the Colossians chapter 3. And if you're using the Bible provided there in the, uh, in the rack in front of you, it's page 1170 is where we'll be. Uh, so glad that you are here today. And uh, I know that uh, my brother Corey has already talked about yesterday. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, we, we sure enjoyed being able to serve our friends and neighbors uh, that, that came, that are part of our church. And glad for all of you who worked here. Uh, my goodness, we had a ton of volunteers, and we were glad of that. Uh, sometimes we worry about that, but uh, y'all always show up and show out, and that's awesome. So uh, we were glad for that, and I would just want to thank everybody that did work so hard. They were here at 12 working, setting things up, and stayed after and cleaned up. And uh, so we are grateful that, that you were here so much. And uh, one person who worked here yesterday, one of our members, uh, let me know that they had the opportunity to share the gospel personally with someone. So that was awesome. Amen. Amen. So if, if that happened to you, please tell me about it so we can rejoice again with that. And if you weren't in Sunday school, you're going to miss something. So you got to know. Uh, on November 19th, that evening, we have a business meeting and we go, well, good. No, don't be good. You got to be here. All right. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to have Thanksgiving dinner Sunday before Thanksgiving. We're going to bring turkeys. You bring Sides. I was going to make a joke about bringing your turkey, but then that might have been insulting. Uh, so, uh, uh, but we're going to bring some turkeys. We're going to have those provided, but um, just bring a side dish, and we're just going to get together and have a big Thanksgiving meal after the business meeting next, uh, not next Sunday night. Woo, that'd be bad. November 19th. So you got a little bit of time to prepare. If everybody showed up next week with a dish, and <laughs> where is everybody? Where, sorry. Uh, so that's November 19th, so don't forget that. Um, we're doing this together series. And we're in Colossians 2, uh, Colossians 3 actually, uh, Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. And so that's on page 1170. And, and I, I wanted to welcome you to, to worship this morning. Amen? You might not understand what I meant. Sorry. You don't come to worship, you come to worship. Because worship is not passive, it's active. And so that's what I want you to take home with you today. Worship is not passive. You don't just come and watch it happen. You're supposed to involve yourself in it. We're going to see this in Colossians, the third chapter. And, and we're, we're going to look at that in a moment. But there's a story in the scripture, which I, I, I hope you're familiar. Um, we're not going to go through the whole story. It's, it's a long uh, passages from verse 4 to 45 in John chapter 4. So it's 41 verses long. But it's a familiar story. The Bible says Jesus had been uh, ministering and he was headed somewhere else. And the Bible says that, he's, that it says he, had, he must go through Samaria. This is the woman at the well. I think you're familiar with that. It says he had to pass through Samaria. Now there's a hint there, but... Here's the big deal. The reason it's a hint is because no self-respecting Jew ever had to go through Samaria. They'd go hundreds of miles out of their way, walk around it to, to not go through Samaria. But the Bible says about Christ. So there's a hint there that he had a divine appointment that he knew about and he was going to meet that appointment. Sure enough, he comes to a place called Sukar, S-Y-C-H-A-R. I looked up how to say it because I could think of five at least different ways to say it, but Technically, a sukkar. Or, and, and as he's there, and the Bible says he's weary, he's hot, he's thirsty. Because remember, Jesus was a man. 
That's important for us to understand because we're hopeless if he was just God. And he was God, but he didn't exercise his deity while he was here. He did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he was thirsty, he was hot, he was thirsty, he was tired. And he saw a woman coming, and the woman comes to that well, and he asked her for some water. He doesn't have anything to drop in the well and get the water out. And she's astounded because, number one, it's a man and their culture talking to a woman. There's nobody else around. You don't do that. The women aren't supposed to talk to them, and you shouldn't approach a woman singularly back then in that situation. But he's a Jew, and she is a Samaritan, and the Jews hate the Samaritans. And that's why I said no self-respecting Jew would have gone through Samaria. They hated them. They were half Jewish and half something else because of all the invasions and occupations through time. They became their own people group. They're still there, but there's only a couple hundred, few hundred of them left. Um, but they're, they're still over there in the... In, in the Israel area. And so Jesus asked for this water. And you know she said. You dare ask me a Samaritan and a woman for water. And he said if you knew who was asking for it. You'd ask of me. I give you water that never ends. You'd never thirst again. She said how can you give me that water. You don't even have anything to get a drink of water. You know and he starts. And, and instead of explaining who he was. He just he said well go get your husband. Then I'll tell you. She goes I, I, I don't have a husband. He said you said it right. And he tells her. The sad story of her life. She had been used and abused by five different men and thrown away. And now she's living with a guy that's not her husband. And she realized, but her next sentence is astounding. I perceive that you're a prophet. Let me ask you something about worship. Now that just, you know, that's, whoa. That's a mental turn that, you know, that's Bugs Bunny. I must have taken a wrong turn in Albuquerque. I just don't get why she said that next. Said, our people say, God, where's from this mountain? You people say up there in Jerusalem. Which one is it? So either she really wanted to know or she's just trying to trick Jesus. Everybody's always trying to trick Jesus, you know. And they can't ever do it. And he said, neither. He said, there's coming a time when people will worship, will worship in spirit and in truth. And the Father, God the Father, seeks those kinds of people to worship him. You see what she thought of as worship was a religious ritual. It had a place, it had a time, it had an order that you better not get out of. Baptists always bragged about how we're not formalistic and all that stuff. But I tell you if you put the offertory at the wrong place in the bulletin. Or you don't sing the right number of songs in the right order. Believe me, we've got a liturgy that we better follow or people will get all upset. You know, it's, it just happens sometimes. But this, this woman had this tradition based on rules that didn't affect her life in a positive way, obviously. She was concerned about worship, so she must have wanted to worship, but it wasn't changing her life. You see, Jesus offered genuine worship. This is truth. He is truth. Jesus is the living word of God. This is the written word of God that tells us about the living word of God. So he told her you must worship in truth but also in spirit. 
That is not only, that's not just emotion, that is the seat of your intellect as well. You've got to understand the scripture and you worship God according to the truth. But boy, you bring the power of your being into that. Your intellect, your, your body sometimes, your breath, your noise, everything comes into that worship. And Jesus said the Father is looking for those kind of people to worship him. So today I want to talk to us about worship in the church. And we're going to base it here out of this passage in Colossians. Let me read the passage to you, uh, 12 through 17. Please follow along, at least in your heart and mind. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me offer a prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you could remove me and just you take over, Lord, that you would, the words I uttered, the thoughts I think would be acceptable in your sights. Lord, uh, I am only a tool in your hand. I pray that you would use that tool. I pray that I will offer you something worthy uh, that you can use. God, we want to worship you and you alone today. This is about my preaching or our singing. This is about our worship towards you, who is the source of all that we have and all that we ever will have. Lord, we ask you to bind our enemy. Give us freedom. Give, open our minds to understand your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this passage, uh, we, we have, we're, we're talking today about this word worship. And I'm going to put a definition of worship up there. I'm going to leave it up while I'm talking for a minute. Because I want you to at least absorb it. I, I, you know, when something's real important, a lot of times people that are in authority will say, you might want to write that down. So, I'm going to tell you, you might want to write that down. <laughs> so, that's why I'm going to leave it up for a minute. Worship is the act of giving to God honor, glory, praise, love, adoration, and thanksgiving for all that he is in himself and also for all that he does for us, especially for giving us the Lord Jesus to die for our sins. Look at that again. And while you're writing it, I'll just be talking. You don't have to watch me. Worship is the act of giving to God. So you're addressing God. You're, you're, whatever you're doing, you're pointing it toward God, you want to give him honor, you want to give him glory, you want to give him praise, you want to give him love, you want to give him adoration, and you ought to be thankful for who he is. Now, we could put a period there. There is more there, but we kind of skip over that part to all he has done. When we go to worship God, we, and and I want to be critical of Christian musicians and Christian music today, Every generation is always critical of the music of today, and I'm old enough to be that way now. But, uh, but, but it has shallowed out a little bit, as, at least in the popular realm. There's some good things being written. They're out there. You can find them. But in, in, in the popular realm, if you're just listening to Christian music on the radio, well, it's not going to hurt you. It's better than listening to some other stuff. But, but it, it shallows out a little bit because we, they talk a lot about 
our experience with God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to, and those things are valid, aren't they? Yeah, they're very valid. But worship is when we just give God glory, honor, and all, and are thankful for who he is. God, you are great. You save. You're glorious. Whatever you do with my life is okay with me. I worship you. I love you. I thank you. You are the great one. And, and so we want, to, we want to do that. The other is true too because that's the balance of it. You've got to let it affect your life. But we ought to first thank him just because he's God. You don't come to Jesus get saved because you want your teeth to be brighter and your smile to be wider and everybody like you. You come to Jesus because he is the Lord and master of all. And you bow before the Lord and master and say, I'm your slave. Do with me as you will. That's Christianity. You, you can do whatever you want with me. That's when we worship God. And we lay our life before him. And we say, take it, it's yours. We sing it, we don't do it so much. And so, I like this definition. And especially, let's be thankful that he did save us, that we are saved. And boy, we can give him a lot of adoration. So, worship involves a lot. We think of worship and praise as the same thing, but it's really not. Praise is a part of worship, but worship is the overarching. When I preach a sermon, my attitude ought to be that I am bringing a gift to give to God. Now, I am trying to help you understand Scripture when I'm doing this. I'm trying to teach, but trust me, 20, 30 minutes a week is not enough. I mean, we could do this every day, two hours a day, and still never get through everything we ought to talk about and apply in our lives. I've been lately thinking back to the very first church. And you had 12 apostles trying to teach 3,000 new converts. But they had about 120 in the upper room. So they had at least 110 more people, uh, roughly, that they could use to help teach other people. And that's how it started. And, and probably how it ought to continue. But we live in a different culture, different times, so we have some different things. But, but they had to teach what Jesus had taught them. And when we worship, when we come to worship, here's what we say. You said it, I've said it, we all say it. I say it to Pastor Andy, and he goes, <clears throat> you know, and oh yeah, you're right. We say, boy, that was, some, that was a good worship time Sunday morning. And he will, he'll look at me and go, which part? When we prayed for the offering? When you were preaching? We're making announcements? We're coming in the door? No, we just meant when we were singing, right? Well, that is, that can be worship. It is praise. Because it, it, it becomes worship when you do it with intention to give God glory, honor, thanksgiving, all those things. You following with me yet? It's when we actively engage ourselves in thinking about God and loving God and telling God how wonderful. He says, well, is God so egotistical he needs us to do that? No. He is so wise he knows you need to do that. Because you'll forget who it is that loves you supremely. Who it is that holds you in his hand. Who it is that's taking care of you. Who it, who it is that is holding you in the hands of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So anything the devil gets to you with, he's allowed to come through himself. And he is controlling it. And he will make it good for you. Amen. That's tough to hear, isn't it? It's tough for me to say. But it's the facts. And so we need to worship more than God needs to hear our worship. And I'll come to a great passage at the end of this. So let me, let me jump into some points based on Colossians 3. You can stay there uh, with me if you would. 
first of all, if we're going to actively engage in worship, we need to prepare for worship, right? We, we have to get ready to worship. You can't just drive up and come in without thinking about it. And, and I know how it goes in some families, especially if you've got little children. It, it's hectic in the morning, getting them ready. I mean, it's, little kids are hurting cats. I, I understand. Now, my wife had to do that most of our lives because... I had to come a little bit earlier than her, and she's always trying to, you know, get the cats in one corral to get them to church, and I get that. Or, do you ever wonder why you fight more on Sunday morning than any other day? Well, number one, everybody's trying to get ready. But also, the devil don't want you to be in a state of mind to worship. You know when you ought to start getting ready for Sunday morning worship? The Sunday when you leave church the last time. And then be getting ready for it. The, 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 the rabbis used to say that the Sabbath was such a big deal, it took three days to get over it and three days to get ready for it. Our whole being ought to be centered around thinking about God and worshiping God in our, in, a, in our being, right? All right, well, let me give you some practical things out of this scripture here. Worship requires godly attitudes and actions. We're going to see attitudes and actions in this passage. First of all, look at who he's addressing in verse 12. Now, now, before that, he's talking about ways to live, and those are good. The passage before it is good, because he says, so put on then, because he's talking about putting aside evil things, as God's chosen ones. First of all, look who he is addressing. He's addressing the ones that God has saved, God's chosen ones. You can say with joy, I'm God's chosen one, if you have come to Christ and you've received the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says you are a chosen one by God. And, and we'll understand that better when we get there. But God loved you enough. He chose you uh, in his sovereign grace and will to, to be his. And then he says that makes you holy. Now, holy means separated for a particular purpose. We, we, we think of holy when we try to say, well, I want to be holy. Okay. And so then we switch our attention to how I talk and how I dress and what I look like and how, you know, I, I'm not a woman, but maybe you wonder about how you put on your makeup. Because some people get freaky about that. Well, a woman shouldn't wear makeup or she shouldn't wear so much or she wouldn't wear. Who cares? It, the Bible doesn't say don't do it. It says make the point, the intention of your heart to give to God. There are certain things I don't do just because I don't want to distract from God in my life. It's not about right or wrong. Especially since I have to stand up here. And so I, I try to be mindful of those things. So holy is not how I look and act. Holy is, am I totally separated for the purposes of God? Period. And once I understand that, God might separate a guy to go and minister to hell's angels. I don't say he's got to look like one, but he might need to. Our warriors that go to war and they want to really win the hearts and minds if they have to be in a foreign country and they know that there are a lot of innocent people there who are caught up in that fight or they're in danger themselves, they try to look like the people that are there, number one, so they don't get shot at, but number two, so they can identify with the people. Missionaries started learning that with Lottie Moon and Hudson Taylor. They got to where they were going. They were the first ones to quit dressing like English people or Americans and started dressing like the people who lived there so that the people would listen to them. And so, I'm not saying you got to indulge in sin, but I do say you, you can't make, yes, but I wear a suit to church, therefore I am holy. No, you just are uncomfortable. <laughs> I get it. I grew up that way. I 
dress like this today. I'm a, honestly, inside, I'm a little uncomfortable because I'm not wearing, you know, the best clothes, you know, the nicest clothes. But it's not necessary. In fact, I thought about dressing really poorly just to make that point. But I decided, well, I ought to be nice and neat and clean anyway. And we make it all about stuff that's not important. Holiness is whatever God wants to do with me. I'm willing to do that. I'm separated just for God's purposes. And if God wants me to do this or that, but I want to do this or that, I put mine aside to do his this or that, then my this or that. That's why Psalm says that God will give you the desires of your heart when you delight in him. doesn't mean he gives you what you want. It means he'll put his desires in your heart so that your desires will be for him and for what he wants. And not only are you holy, but you're beloved. Because if all it was was you have to surrender and do everything for God, well, that can become a drudgery, right? That can become tough sometimes. It's like, God, I mean, read the psalm. Oh, Lord, why? Why did you get me to do this? Why are the wicked, they're doing great, and I'm over here trying to serve you, and I'm under. I mean, all God's prophets went through that. And, they, and his answer is, but I'm with you. I love you. And it's going to get better. Trust me. There's going to come a day. You're going to be glad you went through it because it's going to get better for you. If, if not on this life, probably not till the next one. But the next one always adds. It never subtracts. Jesus, I, I taught Sunday school this morning. And we, we, I thought of the verse in Matthew where he says, go on the narrow road. And I asked, What's it, why is the narrow road better than the broad road? Because it's rockier and it's worse. And the Broadway is wide and easy, and there's a lot of people there. And somebody got it right away and said, because Jesus is with you, exactly. And if he's with you at the end of that journey, you go to be with him. Right? So that's who he's addressing. But then he says, put it on. He's, he's talking like you're putting on clothes. Dress yourself in these attitudes. So let's look at the, the attitudes first. Dress yourself, he says, compassionate hearts. That means that you just care for people. You have some compassion on them. I don't know when the church got to us condemning sinners. The Bible said, Jesus said in John 3, 17 and 18, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I came to save the world. Look at verse 16 of John chapter 3. I don't have to condemn them. They're condemned already. I got to let them know there's a way out of being condemned. That their legal guilt can be forgiven so that I can love them and take them to heaven when they die. And God wants us to have that compassionate heart that a, that a person who's in sin has been trapped by our enemy. And the one who is the enemy of our enemy is our friend. And if our enemy has taken our those created in the image of God, and they need deliverance. Brother and sister, it is up to you and I to bring them the delivering message of the gospel, the good news. There's a way out. That is the good news. The good news isn't that I sit back like a Pharisee, and I'm doing everything right. You're not, but you think you are. And then you want to throw bombs at everybody else. That's not a compassionate heart. That's judgmentalism. That's legalism. It's horrible. And in compassion, we go and try to help people. And if you have a compassionate heart, it's kindness in there. You're going to be kind to them. You're going to have humility. You're not going to think of yourself as the most important person. You'll think of others first. You'll have meekness. You'll be willing to learn. You'll be willing to be taught. You'll be willing to let God alter your understanding of who he is. 
And you will be patient. You'll be patient with others. You'll be patient with each other. You'll be patient even with yourself at times. Because God is patient with you. And then he says, and then put on love. And that is the word agape. I looked it up to make sure. That's not just brotherly kindness. That is, if you're all these other things, now love unconditionally. And then in those same verses, I I didn't point them out, but they're right there. Verses 12 and 13. Then we, we have some actions. So, first of all, dress yourself and then act right. Y'all ever have a parent said, boy, act right. Yeah, it's kind of a shortcut, isn't it? But that's what God's telling us here. He says, get dressed and act right. And how did he tell us to act? Like this, bearing with one another. What does that mean? We don't say bearing. A bearing is a little round metal ball inside a thing so it'll roll and spin, right? Well, yeah, exactly. It's you can lean on it. You're bearing with each other. That guy's falling. You ever seen, there's a, a famous sculpture. And, and I guess this actually happens. There's a famous sculpture of two elephants. And they've got their shoulder on either side of a wounded elephant. And they're helping that elephant walk. That is a picture of bearing with one another. We got someone who whoo, misstepped. Stepped in a hole spiritually and broke his spiritual leg. We're supposed to come bear them up. Get them on going. Get them through it. I'm thinking about a race in the Olympics, a couple of Olympics back, and the guy was running a long-distance race, and as he came around the last turn, his leg cramped up on him, and he collapsed. And some man came running out of the stands and jumped over the stands, and the guard went to stop him, and he threw him aside because that was his son. And he didn't drag him off the track. He picked him up and helped him get across the finish line. That's what we're called to do. When our brother, when our spiritual son or daughter gets a cramp and falls out of the race, we rush up and pick them up and don't throw them away. We drag them and help them get across the finish line. Right? That's bearing with one another. That is, that is forgiving one another. You can't do that if you hold a grudge. I know about grudges. I grew up in a family that not my immediate family, but my cousins, man, they could hold a grudge. They could hold it for years, decades. And my mom used to point it out. I don't know why they fuss fight so much. Just, you know, forgive them. Get over it. Binding your hearts together. That's another action. That doesn't happen if we're not bearing with one another and forgiving one another. He says, bind your hearts together. That what hurts you hurts me. What gives you joy gives me joy. We like to be critical or we like to find an enemy in everybody instead of letting our hearts be bound together so that we are serving a similar purpose. But check verse 15. I want to spend a minute or two in this. I don't have too long, but I want to point it out. Notice the phrase in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ Rule in your hearts. By the way, when we bind our hearts, it becomes in perfect harmony. That's in verse 14. And let the peace, and that's not unison, that is, uh, no, it is unison. It is not um, everybody singing the same note. It all comes, it's harmony. It's not unison, it's harmony. That's the word I was looking for. It's, we might be singing different notes, but they all fit together. Because we are. we are. We're gifted differently. So God takes all these gifts, puts them together in a harmonious song. We don't all sing the same note. So if you've got a different note, that doesn't, 
That doesn't mean you're wrong. It means we're going, we're going to blend it in. But look at verse 15. And it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. But does the word let seem weird to you? It just seemed weird to me. So I had to look it up. And here's what I discovered. The word let is so bound to another word in the verse that when you look at the word let, it's that word. Those words go together. And the word it goes with, are you ready, is rule. So what do you let rule? And rule to means, by the way, to arbitrate or to govern. To This is what we're going to do. The, govern, the governing body says, this is the way it is. Peace. Let peace rule in your heart. And that means, peace means, it's a word that means to join together. It means quietness. It's, whew, man, we're in this together. And you, are, you become a team. And notice what it says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. You think there's a weird word for that? No, it's just the word heart. It's just the, the idea of our thoughts and our being. That feeling, it's not our feelings, it's our mind. How are, how are we inside? And so there's that command. But look, he's going to use the same formula in, the, in, in almost the, the very next verse. You see, worship this is how we participate. I've told you how to get ready for it. Now we got to participate. Now we come together. We've done all these attitudes, all these actions. Now we're going to worship. How do we do that? God wants to produce a godly result because of all of those things. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms. And we'll come to that in a second. Notice that same formula, let... So I looked it up, and sure enough, it did the same thing. It bound, it's bound to another word in the verse. It's the word dwell. So you, you let peace rule, and then you dwell, which means to inhabit together. In other words, we are together in living life here as believers in Christ. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To live inside of you. Let God's word come into your heart. And may it be like life in your life. And that you are dwelling with Christ in his word. You cannot separate the scripture from the person of Jesus Christ. It's in the vine. It's in John 1. In the beginning was the word. The word's with God. The word was God. And to all who believed on him. He gave the power to become sons of God. That Christ is dwelling in us. And he's living in us. So that when we speak. It's Christ speaking. So when we breathe. It's Christ breathing. When we think. It's Christ thinking. When we, when we love each other. It's Christ loving each other. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Richly. Which means abundantly, copiously. What a, what a word we never use. Wow, I ate copiously last night. <laughs> I'm trying to quit doing that so I don't get out of shape too bad. But it, it, it's a word that means abundantly, copiously. And then it always has the word that you were looking up, richly. <laughs> okay? So if the word of God's dwelling us richly, how do we participate? Now, according to this scripture, y'all got to sing. It's what it says. 
Notice what it says. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's the difference? Well, they're just different forms of singing about God. Let's make it simple. They had psalms were the psalms. Uh, hymns were songs about God. And spiritual songs were songs that were just about being a Christian. And that's a lot of what you do here on the radio. About being a Christian. Spiritual songs. Notice though. With wisdom you sing those, being thankful in your hearts. It's bracketed by wisdom and thankfulness. And wisdom is the application of knowledge. So if the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, you begin to apply it in your life. Your life starts to change. And then you teach it to other people and you got to sing. Why do you have to sing? I'm going to hum something and you're going to think of one of two things. I'll make go la la la. La 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 la. You either thought of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So what do we do when kids are three? Sing A, B, C's. Sing your A, B, C's. Anybody in here don't know your A, B, C's? <laughs> and you knew it when I started singing it. Singing to get, you see, there's something about music that gets it down in here. And it doesn't... I, it doesn't say you got to sing well. It says just sing. <laughs> say, I don't sing good. You don't want to hear me sing. Okay, I won't listen, but you got to sing. <laughs> because it is when we, we, we bring these truths into a song. I'm not saying this is the only way to teach, but the Bible here is admonishing us. That's why we sing in church. It's not to fill time so I can get up and preach. The preaching starts when we start singing and sometimes I get so caught up in those words, I forget what I'm going to be talking about. And I, I have, like, it's overweight. I, my mind was on the lyrics of that song. It was just teaching me so much. And I love it when that happens. I appreciate Pastor Andy. He makes sure we sing good songs here. But then, I, I, want, you to, I want you to catch something. Singing, by the way, is not an option. And by the way, this verse isn't about singing. It's about teaching each other with wisdom and thankfulness. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that what it does say? And we do that through song, and that's one way we do it. So I prepare for worship, I participate in worship, but then I praise while I'm worshiping. Say, well, what is the difference? Well, worship is what I told you. Praise is singing it out to God. And Psalm 100 is the praise psalm, basically. There, there's another one, too. But here's what Psalm 100 says. Make a joyful noise, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now that is, that is a sign of joy. It's not about singing good or knowing songs. But, but when you are in the right frame of mind with God and Christ, you will find a song rolling around inside of your head sometimes. And really a lot of times. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We're his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Wait, you mean all through the Bible uses the same words? Yeah, sing, praise, thanksgiving, wisdom. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is that word. Pastor Andy, I both love this word, man. 
the word everlasting love is translated a lot of different ways. His steadfast love, his mercy. It's a Hebrew word that we really can't even define into English because it, it, it means so much more than we can even describe. His, his faithfulness, his steadfast love and his faithfulness, same word here, endures forever. It's to all generations. Worship causes thankfulness toward God. Praise is thanksgiving to God. And it is everything you do According to verse 17 of Colossians 3. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all, giving thanks, do it all, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you say, whatever you do, you do it with thankfulness to the Lord God, giving thanks to him in his name, in the name of Jesus. That's when we're worshiping. When you're getting gas at the station, are you looking for an opportunity to worship God? When you're shopping in the big store, whatever it is, are you looking for someone who looks like they're having a bad day to give them an encouraging word so that you can glorify God? Yesterday, we we got dressed to come and help set up. But in the meantime, we, we we wanted to do something in the morning, so we ran... We ran to the big store to get some stuff so we could do something at home before we came here. And on the way in the store, Janice said, act right, we're representing Calvary. We got on our Calvary shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Mentally, you ought to have put on the Lord Jesus everywhere you go. And you want people to see Jesus. You don't want to be a bad witness. You want to be a good one, right? Well, today, I I hope you understand a little bit more about worship. And today I want to invite you to worship Jesus, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I want you to be a true worshiper. I don't want you to think worship is just showing up here, dressed up a little bit nice, come in at 11 o'clock sharp and leave at 11.30 dull, you know. I, I, I want you to come in here ready to give glory to God for all that he is first and then all that he's done. Because he's done so much for all of us. And if you're not aware of that, then maybe you need somebody to help bear you up, so you, to help you focus on who God is and how much he loves you and how much he wants to be your companion through the hard times and at the end of all of it to bring you to a glorious place called heaven where all things are made right and where the wicked cease from troubling and the weary soul, it shall be at rest. I want you to be a true worshiper.